Welcome to the War in Ukraine update from Kyiv podcast. Hi listeners, Jessica here. I just want to acknowledge I'm releasing this on the 10th of September that there is a massive Ukrainian counteroffensive taking place right now that I'm sure all listeners of this podcast are aware. This episode and a couple of other episodes I'd already recorded or set up before the counteroffensive started. So I will be releasing these episodes in any case, even though they're not directly related to the counteroffensive, which is obviously the biggest thing going on right now. There are some great resources that listeners may already be aware of, and feel free to bring my attention to other resources that you are aware of that do provide constant updates on what's actually happening on the battlefront. The Mariah Report, I'm honestly not sure if I pronounced their name correctly, but M-R-I-Y-A, they open up rooms on Twitter, which are really informative. And then also a listener brought to my attention, Denis Davorov, D-E-N-Y-S-D-A-V-Y-D-O-V, who has a YouTube channel that you can look up and he does really frequent updates of what's happening in terms of the counteroffensive. Anyway, let's jump into the episode. I'm Jessica Ganawa, a lecturer in international relations at Flinders University in Australia, and I'm talking today with Nona Shanazarian. Nona is a senior research fellow at the National Academy of Sciences in Yerevan, Armenia. Nona focuses in her work on conflict, memory, and the trauma of loss. Thanks for joining me on the podcast today, Nona. Thank you for having me, Jessica. You live in Yerevan in Armenia, and what has the atmosphere been like in Yerevan Have you noticed an influx of Russians coming into Yerevan since the full-scale Russian invasion of Ukraine? And how is that noticed and present in the city? Special operation, this is how they call the war in Ukraine, launched by Russia on February 24, influenced Armenia to an extreme degree. There are at least two facets of this influence, geopolitical and human, social and economic. If we briefly look at the first dimension, the war sharply raised the question of the role and place of Russia in the vast uh, Eurasian space. In Armenia, these events inevitably resonate with the difficult experience and understanding of the reasons and outcomes of Karabakh war in the fall of 2020 and the role of Russia. Russia's heavy-handedness to any country that strives to pave its way to true democracy has been self-evident in recent times. As for the second facet of influence, I would like to stress the role of Armenia among other countries such as Georgia, Cyprus, Turkey, Kazakhstan as a hosting society for Russian to fled. The war, which suddenly erupted for some social strata, it became a pushing factor for immediate migration. So immediate after 24th of February, there was a great influx of Russian citizens to Armenia. First group who hastily left Russia were IT companies, which felt that their lives will be severely impacted by economic sanctions. Also included professionals from art industry, from the business world and prominent journalists and NGOs who were viewed with suspicion, actually were criminalized overnight. And the second group are people from academic communities who were anticipating the return of the Iron Curtain. Why Armenia was chosen? 
independent research group called After 24 conducted an online survey on altogether 1,000 plus persons. The new arrivals are from different categories in terms of education and social standing. These groups have diverse motivations. The study of After 24 research group showed that most of the respondents decided to leave Russia because they need to take their sons out of the country for fear of being drafted into the army, the fear of nuclear threat, problems of doing business with Europe caused by war in Ukraine, the inability to live with right-wing conservatives, so-called vatniki. In translation, it will be quilted jackets, the problem to live with them in one's country. According to the after 24 research, they choose Armenia because of proximity, lack of language barrier, friendliness of the local population. For many migrants from Russia, Armenia was a realistic option, although it offered less protection against the general conscription because of the Russian military base stationed in Armenia. Unlike other countries, Russian doesn't need foreign passport to enter Armenia. This is kind of special border regime for Russians. The after 24 research shows that 81% of people interviewed expected to be interrogated about the professions and protest activity by the border service of um, Federal Security Service, FSB. However, contrary to expectations, this was not the case. According to official data from the FSB, until April 1st, 2022, the number of people who, who came to Armenia has tripled, or 135,000 people approximately. Why is the tactics of the Russian authorities in relation to those leaving the country, actually a powerful human resource, mostly young people born in the 90s, was so permissive. The logic, quote-unquote logic of the authorities was let them rally in Tbilisi. Political analysts answer this question that the Russian authorities are happy to get rid of inconvenient citizens who do not accept the ideas and ideology of the new Russian world. Indeed, after February 24, big changes took place in Russia itself. Some Russian citizens are especially concerned by the attempts of hardcore ideologization of primary and secondary education with the aim of indoctrination of quote-unquote correct values, education of patriotism, quote-unquote correct interpretation of contemporary events, the war in Ukraine. In this regard, changes have been made to history textbooks, the quote-unquote logic of ideology is extrapolated into the past. Completely in the Soviet style, new classes appeared in secondary schools. Political appointees appeared in schools, keeping an eye and controlling the new rules. It's over six months now since Russia's full-scale invasion of Ukraine. Has the flow of people from Russia slowed? What have you noticed as time has progressed? Thank you, Jessica. This is a very interesting question. In general, the situation with Russian foreign passport holders is astonishing because only a small minority, about 8 million people, 
altogether hold the type of passport, which means that they were only ones able to travel abroad. Still, the number of people entered the country was enormous for Armenia. Armenia is a small country that faces unprecedented challenges to host this sudden surge. The price of housing in Yerevan today is as high as Moscow. Nowadays, part of the migrants made their way to other countries, mostly young males still fearing of total mobilization of civilians. Definitely less Russians are arriving currently and some returns to Russia as they ran out of funds. According to After24 research, only 10% of those surveyed plan to stay in Armenia for the distant future. Nevertheless, such a huge influx of migrants from this new human capital from Russia has played a key role in the economic growth of Armenia, hitherto unprecedented in post-Soviet Armenia. In your research, you study the trauma of loss, and I believe in particular in relation to the Nagorno-Karabakh conflict, but it's related to any conflict situation. First, what types of loss can be experienced by people who have gone through violent conflict? What is the trauma of loss? Yes, it is true. Jessica, I studied trauma in depth in three ways. These three topics were the Karabakh movement and the first Karabakh war, the fate of Armenian refugees from Azerbaijan, and the recent, the second Karabakh war in 2020. We used new methodology trying to study the trauma of lost home. It's mental or conceptual mapping. When I say we, I mean the group of international researchers together with Yelena Nikiforova and uh, Anita Khachatula. Trauma is not only a one-time event that dramatically changes a person's life, but also a process that continues to influence people's attitudes towards their past, present, and future. Trauma cannot be reduced to an act of disruption or destruction of a quote-unquote normal life. It's deeply traumatic to be frustrated by the futility of trying to formulate acceptable reasons for the unexpected event that exploded their life. Many refugees had to cope with the uncertain future as their lives was radically disrupted, had to break the normal stages of their biography. Children lose their innocence and are forced to take a giant leap into an uncertain adulthood. People are left with little choice other than to learn to live with strong. No doubt when someone is in a conflict situation, has had to flee their home, people close to them might have died, is going to have to create strategies. As you said, the effects of trauma and the impacts on us continue. It's not something that passes quickly from human memory and human experience. How do those strategies of coping with the trauma of loss differ for people of different generations and different genders. Thank you, Jessica. Trauma is a protracted process. In my particular research cases, trauma was aggravated by the loss of normality and new and unusual living conditions. Forced displacement took more of a, of a toll on women refugees than men. 
they suffered from the trauma of violence and loss and culture shock in their new places of relocation. Men were also deeply traumatized, but this was expressed more sharply in women in terms of the loss of, of spaces over which they had control and influence. Their home generation-wise, my study of coping with trauma among three generations of Armenian refugees in the USA showed that youngsters that quote-unquote inherited trauma via family narratives are more inventive in finding mechanisms to resolve or alleviate the consequences of trauma. As you're observing from afar what's taking place in the current war in Ukraine, are you thinking about that through the lens of the trauma of loss? Thank you, Jessica. This is a difficult question. The thing is, I'm sure that Ukraine will not only win this war, but it has already won. It remains only to grieve for the dead and injured residents of Ukraine, but also to regret that as a result of the war, against the backdrop of the formation of very powerful solidarity and state identity, we can only hope that they will be able to build something fundamentally new and functional on the ruins of the post-war Ukraine. Thanks, Nona. I appreciate you being with me today and sharing these thoughts on the podcast. Thank you very much. Thanks for listening. And thanks to Mr. Smith for our theme music.